Welcome to another episode of the Public Health Insight Podcast. In this episode, we delve into the latest news and trends shaping the way we think about public health and the world around us. My name is Gordon, I'm here with LaShawn, and together we have a fantastic lineup of intriguing topics that are sure to get you thinking. In this episode, we'll be exploring some fascinating and thought-provoking topics that are sure to spark your interest. First up, we'll be discussing guinea worm, a parasitic disease that has plagued humans for centuries. We'll explore the challenges faced in pushing for zero cases and what it will take to finally rid the world of this ancient scourge. Next, we'll be taking a look at tuberculosis, a disease that has once again become the deadliest in Africa. We'll examine what has gone wrong, why progress has stalled, and what needs to be done to get back on track. Finally, what does HBO's hit series The Last of Us have to do with fungal infections? With the rise of drug-resistant fungi, this is an increasingly pressing issue that has yet to be adequately addressed. We'll explore the scientific and economic challenges facing the development of fungal vaccines and what can be done to tackle this critical problem. Let's get into it. Guinea worm disease, a parasitic disease that infects humans and a few other animals, is almost eradicated. The Carter Center, a nonprofit founded by a former U.S. president, Jimmy Carter, announced that there were just 12 cases worldwide in 2022 the lowest annual figure since 1986. Guinea worm causes a nasty infection that inflicts intense pain and causes people to be unable to work and provide for their families. Infected children miss school and fall behind on their education. The final push to full eradication will be a challenge that requires patience and vigilance as the disease can reemerge. LaShawn, what is your reaction to anywhere almost being eradicated yeah my first reaction is shout out to the 20 neglected tropical diseases which mm. includes guinea worm that's the first thing second of all it just reminds me of how cruel some of these diseases are right because of guinea worm disease many people lose a lot of productive time they cannot go to work they miss a lot of school so with neglected tropical diseases, they don't necessarily kill you right away. The tragedy of this disease is that they cause a lot of chronic pain, injuries, which prevent them from doing their day-to-day activities. It's sort of a disability-adjusted life year situation. Exactly. Mm. And so one of the things that stuck out to me is the actual pathway in which these terms live out their life mm, cycle. Right. So basically, individuals go into a water body or have food that is infected. Basically, these little tiny worm larvae infect you. They burrow for a year in dormant cavities in your stomach, and they develop, they mate. And once the females mature into pregnant worms, that's when the the hectic stuff happens. So Mm -hmm. these pregnant worms, their goal is to get back into the water to give birth. So what they do is once they're already in the humans, they crawl down into their lower extremities, so the lower leg, your foot, 
and they burrow out and cause these incredibly painful openings and blisters in a process that can take weeks. And they just want to go into the water. But you realize that they're burrowing through human flesh, skin, and causing these blisters. And there are no vaccines for this disease. It's very gruesome. Yeah. And the part there about the burrowing through the skin is my understanding of how this works too is there's a natural impulse for whoever is infected to try to get some relief by going into the water. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what the guinea worm wants to be able to start the next reproductive cycle. So a lot of the efforts, like you mentioned, to contain or eradicate this disease specifically are centered around modifying human behavior. As you said, mm -hmm. there's no current vaccine for the prevention of this specific disease. So trying to modify human behavior through education efforts and through limited resources is a key challenge here and one that will serve as a big barrier from getting it to 12 cases per year all the way down to zero and giving it an eradication status. Yeah, it's interesting because 12 cases worldwide, it just makes me think people might already think like, hey, it's already done. There's only 12. It's not something that could affect me anymore. And that could be very detrimental to elimination efforts. So yeah, there is a lot of ongoing education. There are actually clinics that basically house individuals so that they don't go into the water and cause the further spreading of this disease. But what was interesting is that they found that dogs can actually be infected mm -hmm. and could actually transmit this. So there's a lot of evolving components. Even though you have 12, there can be wrenches thrown into your elimination efforts that you hadn't thought about originally. Very cool story. And I guess it takes the whole world to make sure that this disease will get eliminated. Mm -hmm. I'm optimistic because... At one point, it used to be 3.5 million people per year, and now we're down to double digits. That's, that shows that public health has accomplished a lot in this domain. Tuberculosis treatment has been available for over 60 years, yet it remains the leading cause of death from a single infectious agent, only being surpassed by COVID-19 in the past two years. The COVID-19 pandemic and associated lockdowns have set back TB control programs worldwide, resulting in increased TB cases and deaths, as well as a decline in global spending on essential TB services. The end TB strategy milestones for a reduction in TB disease should guide efforts to correct this, with priorities for TB care including increasing budgets and human resources, developing digital platforms for training and health education, and strengthening community-based TB treatment services. TB prevention should focus on targeting high-risk groups for universal testing, strengthening, and community-based active case finding and tuberculosis diagnostic services, and integrating TB, HIV, and COVID-19 services. What is your reaction to this, Gordon? Even though we had this COVID-19 pandemic that we are focusing on, did we forget that there are other diseases present? Mm, I think the answer is more nuanced than yes or no. What happened is there was this novel disease that we didn't fully understand and a lot of resources were allocated to those efforts as an immediate threat. 
And that was done largely because at the time, COVID-19 seemed to be affecting people everywhere. That led to some neglect of other programs because of a lack of resources and funding and other realistic scenarios there. In terms of where we are now, effective TB control requires that you have dedicated staff, dedicated treatment, follow-ups, and that was significantly impacted by our collective efforts to address the COVID-19 pandemic. What that led to is we went from a stage where we were seeing a decline in the TB rates worldwide, and we've now been in a situation where there's a bit of a rebound because of the two to three years where we disproportionately focus on COVID and not so much tuberculosis. So that explains where we are now. I'm hopeful that we can get back on track because what's a leading cause from a single infectious agent? But yet we don't talk about it nearly enough. I remember when I first learned about this, I thought it was an ancient disease. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that even right here in Canada, it's still a major problem for a lot of different communities. Yeah. And it just goes to show, like we always talk about these leading diseases. So we're talking about tuberculosis, HIV, malaria, neglected tropical diseases. We also have to understand that it's not just those four diseases. There's going to be other diseases that come into play. So that's why I consider that fifth leg of the table. In this case, it's COVID-19. But that could be any other disease, right? And it really goes to show that When we're tackling these diseases, many researchers or program people, they might just focus on one of these diseases. But what this article is saying is we need to think about integrated approaches. When we're administering preventative measures in cases like malaria, how can we package those with other public health services to help make a double effect or even a triple effect? So that there's no redundant services and there's no duplications of efforts that are going on. Mm -hmm. And specifically in this article, they honed in on Africa because in terms of Africa, a quarter of the TB-related deaths occur in the African region. And that's only 16% of the world's population. So Mm -hmm. there's a disproportionate impact on the African population. And a lot of it has to do with reasons that we already explained so what LaShawn was talking about is sort of addressing multiple factors at the same time without the need to implement different programs separately which causes a lot of different logistic challenges there's a lot of co-infection with HIV and TB Mm -hmm. so those things would are best addressed in parallel and as well as potentially COVID-19 for those programs that have room to integrate other disease prevention efforts as well Yeah, there's great work being done across all these disease groups. It's just that we need to also consider how we're going to sustain gains in light of other factors that we haven't planned for. The challenge with TB compared to other things, so TB and COVID-19. COVID-19, we went from not understanding disease to having an effective vaccine in two to three years since the disease emerged. And TB, they're still not yet an effective vaccine that can be administered at the population level to all ages that would serve as a tool to prevent 
TB infection. So we're relying a lot on prevention efforts. So obviously there's overcrowding in houses for certain families that help to spread the disease, as well as from a treatment perspective, it's very, very involved. So there's supervised treatment that's often required where a healthcare provider provides the medication at each of the dose intervals and an appropriate follow-up with x-rays and things like that. So it's very, very involved from an individual care perspective. And that is also one of the challenges why we have to put a lot of effort in prevention so that we don't have more people that need to be treated. What does HBO's hit series, The Last of Us, have to do with fungal infections? The development of a vaccine to prevent fungal infections is imperative as fungal diseases affect millions of people worldwide and their global burden is expected to increase with the rise of immunosuppressive drugs and climate change. While vaccines against bacterial and viral diseases are in abundance, no vaccines against fungal pathogens are licensed for human use due to several scientific and economic challenges. For instance, fungal infections primarily affect immunosuppressed people, making it challenging to find participants for clinical trials to test vaccine efficacy. It is also challenging to design vaccines that work for the immunocompromised people who need them the most. So Gordon, did you watch The Last of Us? I haven't seen The Last of Us yet, but I recall from you that this was developed based on a video game. So we're talking about a video game, an HBO series, public health. Mm -hmm. LaShawn, help me connect the dots here. Yeah, so The Last of Us was originally a game for the PlayStation. There was two games that were released, and it was such a well-received game that I guess Sony and HBO decided to create this series. Basically, there's a zombie-causing fungus in the show that's mostly fictitious, and this infection, once you get infected by it, you basically turn into this zombie and you infect other people. It's in a very dark landscape where everyone is just trying to survive. It's pitting humans against humans, humans against these zombies, and really develops different aspects of the characters in terms of caring for others. What do you do in the face of a big struggle and how do you survive in a limited resource setting and there's different aspects of the show but the one that we are going to focus on is that there is no vaccine available for the individuals in this show but that is also true in real life there actually is no vaccine that's licensed for human use yet as Gordon was mentioning there is a rise in fungal infections because of climate change because of the rise of use of immunosuppressive drugs what are we going to do why is there no vaccine yeah that's a tough question and my understanding is that one of the specific challenges compared to developing vaccines for viral and bacterial pathogens in the case of a fungal pathogen is that at a cellular level there's a lot of similarities between what a fungus might look like and what a human cell might look like. So mm -hmm. that creates a lot of different challenges when you're trying to train an immune system to recognize a foreign object or foreign antigens when they look very similar to human antigens. So that's one of the, the key challenges there. And obviously, 
that requires a lot of resources in terms of scientific investigation and discovery, but fungal infections don't seem to get the same level of attention as the other types of pathogens. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a bit about the economic viability of this as mm-hmm. well. So why isn't there that push, economically speaking, to be creating these vaccines? Is there no money in it for pharmaceutical companies to create these vaccines? I'll start by saying this. So you want to trial the vaccine. Naturally, your population that you can recruit to test a vaccine on is very limited because testing a vaccine that you're looking for a safety profile and to establish a level of efficacy on people who are immunosuppressed themselves through taking the drug creates a lot of logistic challenges to having a vaccine from development all the way to commercialization and production. And then from a scientific and economic perspective, there is not a lot of funding bodies that would fund this type of research because the pool of people who might benefit tends to be lower than those that experience bacterial infections and those that experience viral infections. Yeah, Yeah, and another thing that the article talks about is this idea of having these timelines. The timelines are inherently different than the development of other diseases, and this links back to what Gordon was saying about being able to recruit different patients that would be suitable for these clinical trials. So the experts in the article just talk about there is this idea of understanding the different timeline of a potential fungal-based vaccine. So what we can do about this is stay informed, find ways to fund research, hold these different funding agencies accountable to show the importance of research in these settings Mm -hmm. and for these diseases, and tell them to watch The Last of Us because if there's this fungal pandemic that's going on and turning people to infectious zombie killing machines, we need to be safe. So let's get that vaccine. Hmm. Are you saying to use the Last of Us HBO series as an advocacy tool to maybe demonstrate the point that it's a bit on the (laughs) comical side, but to some degree, this is what it could look like if we don't have effective vaccines for different pathogens. Yeah, but we also need to be realistic and not scare people because Mm. right now there isn't a fungus that can control humans and infect them in a way that they'll eat other humans. So we just got to be reasonable. But I think it does highlight the importance of conducting research and developing tools to, you know, fight these sorts of diseases. Right. And it seems like there are a few potential candidates that are in the works right now. So Mm -hmm. we'll follow the space to see if there are any viable candidates that hit the market. In this episode, we discussed the guinea worm parasite disease that used to affect millions of people around the world, but is now closer to being eradicated and the various challenges that are associated with getting us from where we are now to zero cases. We also talked about tuberculosis, how we went from a situation where we were looking at a promising projection and how those efforts were hampered by the COVID-19 pandemic and restoring efforts for effective control in terms of prevention and treatment. And lastly, 
making the connection between a, an HBO hit series based on a video game and the public health implications of vaccine development for fungal diseases. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check out the links to all the articles that we've included in the description for this podcast episode. For now, this has been LaShawn and Gordon signing off. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.